Turn with me to Deuteronomy, the first chapter. This is commonly called the fifth book of Moses, the last book that Moses wrote. You don't really know how it would be to write about your own death, but Moses wrote about his own death and his own burial. <clears throat> I guess if Moses, under the inspiration of God, could look back and write about the creation of the world, write about Noah and the flood that took place thousands of years before he was born, he could, uh, by the same God, the same Spirit, write about his death. Uh, would you stand with me? <clears throat> Verse 19 of Deuteronomy 1, And when we parted from Horeb, which was Sinai, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Now I want you to pay careful attention to Kadesh Barnea. Now there were several Kadeshes mentioned in the Bible, and the word Barnea is after this, giving a specific location of this particular place. And verse 20, And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers have said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Praise God. How many people drop out because they get discouraged? Or how many people drop out because of Fear. Now, I'm not going to preach on those two particular subjects. They would each be a message within it. Each one would be a message. But I do want to speak on the word Kadesh, Barnea, which literally means a place of consecration. A place of consecration. You may be seated. <clears throat> I remember in American history, many, many long years ago now, in high school when I was in the 10th grade in 1957 reading of pioneers that were going into the Colorado area and I remember seeing pictures of covered wagons that were drawn by artists of that those days and on the side of the covered wagons was this statement Pikes Peak or Bust I don't know if you remember reading about that or not this was such a great great journey and people had made up their mind we're going to pike's peak of course they were thinking there, there were gold in those hills and we're going to get out there and we're going to explore and discover and we're going to become rich so it's pike's peak or bust you know i wish that somehow god would give to us that same spirit as we travel through this world that we're going to heaven or bust. It's streets of gold or bust. Praise God. In that holy city, there's gold on them there, streets. And we're going up there to walk on it. Praise God. And give us that same spirit that says heaven or bust. We're going to make it. Praise God. We can make it. Now, it's too bad 
that the Israelites, after they left Egypt, that they did not have that same spirit in their blood. You know, when you are seeking after spiritual things, it's amazing what the enemy can do to discourage you. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, we're talking about a place of consecration. Of course, to consecrate, we simply means to, it simply means to set apart or to devote or to declare for sacred use. And each of us wants to consecrate our lives totally to the Lord. Uh, however, it is amazing how many people that, in, in, in a place in, a, in which decisions have to be made, in which they're even praying about decisions, how often those decisions are, are uh, swayed by fear or discouragement or, or maybe disillusionment. Uh, I see a, a lot of people that uh, get their eyes set on the wrong thing. I don't want to go to heaven just because of streets of gold. You know, if we didn't have the New Testament, uh, we wouldn't know much about streets of gold because when you look at the Old Testament, when uh, the Israeli people considered passing on and being in the presence of God and going into eternity, uh, they, they didn't have that... Uh, that longing for streets of gold. They were not so hooked up to the material world that the Gentiles were hooked up to. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, we find that the church was comprised mostly of Gentiles, and the Gentiles did not keep track of, of their family tree like uh, the Israelites did. You can look at the first chapter of the book of Matthew, and you can see how... Jesus was traced all the way back to David. If you look in the book of Luke, you see that Jesus was traced all the way back to Adam in the Garden of Eden. These people kept excellent records. Uh, they knew uh, uh, exactly who their ancestors were and the important part that they held in the history of their country and the history of the world. They knew that. Of course, the Gentiles were considered dogs. They were considered to be without father or mother. Uh, but that I mean they did not keep an accurate account of uh, uh, their ancestors. So uh, as a result, uh, uh, they did not have uh, their roots uh, uh, buried in history and the past like the Israeli people did. Uh, for uh, uh, an Israelite to die, he looked forward to being in the presence of, of God, but also he looked forward to being in the presence of, of his loved ones. This is the reason why Jesus, when he came upon the scene, he talked about people who would come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and they would sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob around the throne. Uh, they, they looked forward to being in the presence of their their loved ones. The Gentiles, however, not really knowing much about their loved ones, they uh, uh, naturally, uh, death to them did not mean so much uh, as far as reunion is concerned. So it appears that God, in His wisdom, uh, unfolded an, uh, another page uh, and allowed the Gentile church to look into eternity uh, just a little deeper than what uh, the Jews were looking into eternity. Here we see 
gates of pearl and walls of jasper and streets of gold. And so this became an appealing factor to the, to the Gentiles. However, <clears throat> once you get into the body of Christ and, and once you uh, experience uh, the brotherhood that you've experienced and you develop lifelong friends and you see some of those friends pass on into eternity, uh, heaven and the thought of heaven becomes sweet just to know that, uh, that you can have a reunion, that you can go and be with the... Uh, uh, your loved ones. My dad has passed on into eternity. He knew God. He was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My grandfather, my grandmother, uh, I have several loved ones in a little cemetery in East Texas. I have many, many relatives who are buried there that passed on uh, into eternity in the presence of God, having been filled first with His Spirit uh, before they pass from this life. And uh, I'm looking forward one of these days going and being in the presence of God, but also in the presence of, of my loved ones that I have not seen for years and years and years. I have some very deep roots, uh, and uh, that is in, in the church, and, and I, I owe a big, big debt to so many people that, that have done so much to bring me where I am today. Sunday school teachers and, and uh, several pastors and some of my own relatives who were pastors and, and various aunts and uncles. And, of course, I mentioned my grandfather and grandmother, my dad and mom. Uh, I owe a lot to these people. I owe a lot to them. I, I just want to always be thankful. I, I thought your class this morning did an excellent, uh, uh, made an excellent presentation, Sister a melody when they talked about the Passover and, and all of those things that the Jews did just to remind their children of all the good things that God has done. You know, if, if you could ever learn to count your blessings. And, uh, here we, we're reading a story that, that's really connected to this. It, it, it's connected in, in, in such a, a very uh, strong way. Uh, way it's 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 di directly related to this story. Uh, Israel came out uh, of Egypt over 400 years. It had been prophesied uh, that uh, our God had spoken. Maybe that would be a better word, a better phrase. God had spoken to Moses and told him that that his seed would be in bondage for better than 400 years. Uh, not Moses, but Abraham, and of course. Uh, we, we know as Genesis unfolds, and uh, here's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, and then, of course, Joseph being sold into slavery and was taken down to, to Egypt, and how that later on his brothers joined him down there, and, and then they became a part of that country, and how that uh, they were enslaved for over 400 years. They were beaten. Uh, they were punished. Uh, but yet how God even blessed them in those horrible, horrible days of, of toiling and laboring. But it is amazing how that after they got their freedom, how quickly they forgot about it. Uh, they just, they simply forgot about it. Now, when the death angel passed over the household and they were allowed to leave, they no more than got out of the doors of Egypt, so to speak, and here came Pharaoh, did not want to let him go. He changed his mind. 
that that story uh, is such a, a real story uh, to each of us because we see the new convert leaving the world, and he no more than separates himself from the world, and the devil that finally gave up and said, okay, we'll let him go. He's right back there to, to try to get him back. Uh, I thought when I received the Holy Ghost that my life on the planet Earth was just going to be one great, victorious, grand uh, celebration. And after two or three days of living for God, I found out that it wasn't that way. A lot of people that uh, I loved, uh, a lot of friends that I had, uh, they began to uh, examine my life and examine the way that I was living, and they found me to be quite uh, incompatible. Uh, some of the friends I had that told some of the bad jokes, and of course I joined in and told my share of them. I, uh, around the coffee machines and places where I worked, well, uh, it was all over with. Uh, everybody was talking about Grant's got religion. Uh, he, he became a holy roller. Can you believe that? Uh, he became a holy roller. One guy came up to me and said, I hear you joined this holy roller church. And uh, I consider this man to be quite a good friend of mine. He was a deacon in a local assembly of the city where I worked. I worked in the city outside of the city that I lived in. And I got in a conversation with him, and he got mad. I mean, he got real mad. And he reached around and picked up a big pry bar. It was about four foot long, metal. And uh, he held that over his shoulder and threatened to hit me with it. I mean, he was so mad over the fact that I was... A holy roller. I was converted. Uh, he was uh, trying to get me to join his church. I passed his church uh, uh, every day uh, going back and forth to work. I found out later on uh, that even though he was a deacon in the church that he had a problem with alcohol, of course, I, I knew he, he drank a lot, stopped by the bars. Kind of a common thing, you know. You can do that in a lot of churches. And uh, so he stopped by the bars and... and uh, he got so upset uh, at me. We worked in an office together, and then uh, because of the layoffs we had, we had to go back out in the plant and work. And, and I worked on the day shift, and he was put on the night shift, and he wasn't too happy about that. But uh, we worked on the same machine then, so I had to see him every day. Oh, my! I tell you, he, he got mad at me. He got mad at me. He did everything he could, but... Uh, <clears throat> It's amazing how God can uh, can turn things around. Brother Thomas is talking about his mother in this situation. Brother Manley made reference to this. God began to deal with this man, and the more God dealt with this man, it seems like the meaner he got. I'll tell you, I prayed for him. I sought the Lord for him, and and uh, all of a sudden he just kind of just gave it all up. I didn't see him on the job for a couple of weeks, and I didn't know where he was. I, I heard he was sick, and then... The foreman slipped around and told me, he said, no, I'll tell you what, he said, I think he's going to lose his job. He's, he's been drinking. He's been drunk now for two weeks. So I happened to stop by his house, and, and he was in the bed in the back room, and he was just totally out, and his wife said, I can't get him to even get out of the bed. And he'll sober up a little bit and go back to the bar, go back in drunk again. And he usually has a couple of bottles in a brown paper bag when he comes in. And Oh, my, he just... He, he was a real mess now. Uh, you know, good good deacon, good deacon, 
uh, wanted me to join his church, upset that I wouldn't join his church. But I tell you, I kept on praying for him. And, and I was amazed one day. He appeared back on the job after two or three drunks later. And uh, I had already washed my hands and put my tools up and was ready to go. And somebody came over and said, hey, Clarence. His name was Clarence Head. He said, Clarence wants to see you. I thought, oh, no, not again. My, not again. Because he was bad news, Clarence Head. I mean, every time I saw him, I, I just kind of cringed, but I kept on praying for him. And I went over there, and he was running a cutting torch on a round table. And the torch was going around. I can still, still see him standing there with his head down. I walked up, and he never even looked at me. And the torch just kept going, and he said, Hello, Grant. I said, uh, Well, I understand you wanted to see me. He said, Yeah. And uh, he finished the piece, said he was cutting, and took the pliers and knocked the slag off of it with a file and laid it over on a pile and came back over there and dragged the metal over a little closer and started another circle, cutting these circles. I said, uh, uh, What is it you wanted to see me about? Uh, I still remember his head down. He started sobbing. He said, you know, I, uh, I'm not doing so good. I said, well, uh, is there anything I can help you with? He said, yes. He said, uh, I need you to pray for me. So standing right there, R.G. Letourneau factory in Longview, Texas. I put my arm around him. He bowed his head and we prayed. He said, you know, I just feel so bad about the way I've been treating you. He said, I thought I could discourage you. He said, I thought too when I picked up that bar I could scare you. Maybe you'd understand. He said, I I was so cocksure I was right. That's what that's the word he used. He said, I just knew I was right. He said, uh, I don't know. He said, I just made a mess out of myself. <clears throat> you think you could uh, could help me? I said, what, what seems to be wrong with you? He said, you know, I, I think I have an unclean spirit. He said, I can't stay away from the bars. He said, but then I mean, I, I think I have a, an alcoholic demon. And, uh, I looked around, there wasn't anyone near, and I put my hand back on his back, and I said, Clarence, I'm going to rebuke this unclean spirit. That's what he was calling it, because I guess all devils are unclean. I guess there's no such thing as a holy, which means clean, devil. So I started praying for him and rebuked this devil that was in him. Turn looked at me after I had rebuked this. He said, John, he said, I gave my heart to the Lord. He said, I've been going to this church for a good number of years. But he said, I made up my mind. I want to go to heaven. He said, I've also made up my mind that 
looks like what's preached there and the life that I am allowed to, to live not going to get me there he said I need to reconsecrate myself he said I feel like I've been walking in this wilderness for a long long time it's now time for me to come out contacted the local pastor in the city where he lived who happened to be Brother Doyle Spears. He's preaching our church here. Brother Doyle Spears' son, Steve, is married to Brother Tenney's daughter. A lot of you know Spears. He went out and visited with Clarence and took Clarence to the church one day and baptized him in Jesus' name. Was filled with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. I was amazed to find out that all of his trouble started when he started praying for me. Can you believe that? Trying to get me out of the Holy Roller Church. You see, when I look in the Scripture, Kadesh Barnea, a place of consecration, this is where all the problems started that Israel had. You know that? They did pretty good at Sinai, Mount Horeb. They did okay. It's when they went to possess the land. <clears throat> they wanted to go into the promised land, but the problem was they weren't ready to go into the promised land. Here at a place that should have been a place in which they drew closer to God, they began to murmur and complain. I see Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies, they sent out the twelve spies, and of course I've preached this to death almost. Recently I made reference to it. I just I just feel like we're so close to heaven. But I believe before we go there that some of you need to enter into a promised land. That is a new dimension in the spirit world. I really feel that. Some of you are not quite as close to God as you were one year ago. You've been wandering around out in the wilderness. <clears throat> you know, those 12 spies came back. Ten of them said, we can't go. Oh, we can't take that land. There's just no way we can. They, they were afraid. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back with a good report. And the Lord told Joshua and Caleb, said, Now, because that you have agreed that you can take the promised land, I'm going to let you two go in, but nobody else is going in. And you know, <clears throat> we don't just, just by accident uh, get into the promised land heard a real funny story, you know, this past week. I, I don't know. I was we, Last weekend we were down at Brother and Sister Peterson's in, in Pepin. Brother, uh, Brother Peterson's such a unique guy. I'm telling you, he's, he's one of the most sincere men that you've ever seen. I had never been in Pepin. I was really impressed at what they have done. I know Brother Crowder told me some, some funny little stories. Brother Crowder called me up. I'm getting two stories going here at one time, so 
If I forget to tell the, the, the other one, make sure you raise your hand and say, go back to your story, Brother Grant. <clears throat> Brother Crowder called me up. He'd been down there. Just started evangelizing. He said, Brother Grant, I think I need some advice. Hmm. I said, what is it? He said, well, he said, I really kind of messed up down in Pepe. <laughs> I said, oh, yes. what happened, Brother Crowder? He was crying. He said, oh, he said, really pray for me. He said, man, he said, I need a touch of God, he said. He said, I just, you know, he said, I went down there and I just wanted to see something happen. And, oh, my, he said, I just wanted to see a move of God. And he said, man, he said, nobody was, they, they, you know, they, they just kind of looked at me like, who is this and what is he here for? <clears throat> and he said, I wanted to make such an impression. I said, praise God. He said, we're going to have a Holy Ghost revival tonight. And he said, I'm going to take out running in Jesus' name. He said, I ran around a couple of times and I came back. And I ran over to Brother Peterson, who was a pastor, not knowing that the pastor just had open heart surgery. I said, come on, Brother Peterson, let's run. And I grabbed him by the hand. His wife jumped up and said, oh, my God, please don't you kill him. Well, he said, I didn't know what to do. And I just stood there and his wife knew she'd embarrassed me. And she said, I'll run with you, Brother Crowder. <laughs> so she grabbed me by the hand and I took out. And he said, when we ran, went around the curve, I was on the inside. And she was the outside. And I didn't realize that I was swinging her. <laughs> I said, well, what happened? He said, well, he said, the aisle next to the wall wasn't as wide as the, as the center aisle. He said, I made it down the aisle, but Sister Peterson went into the wall. Oh, my. He's really determined he's going to. He said, what should I do? I said, well, I think maybe you should just stick with preaching. and <laughs> Forget about running, especially at Pepin. <clears throat> he's been back there several times. Those people really love him. I'm serious with you. They, re they really love Brother Crowder. <clears throat> I said, just go in and sit down and talk with him. Say, you know, I, I just got so excited, and he did. <laughs> well, <clears throat> at any rate, Brother uh, brother Peterson, you know, he's just as sober as a Kentucky judge. He, he's very sincere, and he's got a real dry sense of humor. But his brother, Brother Gerald Peterson, is probably as much as Brother Peterson, or even more so. So when I was in Pepin last weekend, I said, it's good, Brother Gerald, that you could come here by your brother and and uh, work. He said, well, yeah. He said, uh, we actually moved here by accident. <laughs> I wanted to hear. I said, by accident? He said, yes. He said, we bought a house here, and it was an accident. And I said, an accident? How did you buy a house? He said, yeah, pretty nice house, pretty new house, central air and heat and, and everything. I said, how did you? He said, well, he said, uh, the people who owned the house, they were commercial fishermen at Lake Pepin, and then, of course, the pollution, some PVCs or whatever that is, if I'm, maybe I'm not saying that right, but 
They found them in the fish. So they said that you can't commercial fish this lake anymore. And these people, you know, were deriving their livelihood from it. So they said, well, we'll just hold an, an auction and sell everything off. So my wife and I went to the auction, and we bought two or three boxes of things there. And he said, uh, we started leaving. All of a sudden, they, the house came up for sale. Well, he said, uh, uh, while they were bidding on the house and such, we started picking our stuff up. My wife bent over to uh, pick up a box, and she had a bonnet on, and it kind of slipped, and she grabbed her bonnet and went up like this, and, and we didn't think anything about it. And I made a little joke. I said, oh, you better watch out. What's her name now? Mavis said, you better watch out. You're going to end up buying this house, and we laughed about it. We took our stuff out of the car, and we came back. Well, the auctioneer was getting down off the wagon he was on. He came up and said, well, I, I hope you enjoy your house. And uh, <clears throat> I said, <clears throat> my house? I said, yeah, your wife just bought this house, you know. <laughs> and Brother Peter said, I looked at him and said, uh, we did? He said, you know, I told Mavis, and, and he told the story. And said, we didn't buy the house. He said, well, you did. And uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, I told him, I said, well, wait a minute. We're, we, we, we're not going to take this house. Uh, that was, it was an accident. And so <clears throat> the auctioneer looked around. He said, well, most people are about gone. He said, we, you know, if you're going to back out, he said, back out. We never decided. So they called everybody back. And, and so uh, Brother Peterson said, well, we, we better go inside and look. He said, while they were auctioning it off, we came back out. And we went up to the auctioneer. The auctioneer stopped and said, you know, there's nobody bidding on this house. And Brother, Brother Peterson said, well, <clears throat> i tell you what I'll do. I'll give you $1,000 less than what we bid. And <clears throat> so he announced it to the people. Nobody wanted it. So he said, we bought this house by accident. We're so happy with it. <clears throat> you know, if the will of God was that easy for everybody, you know, that... <clears throat> <clears throat> You know, if, if finding your your niche in life was that easy for everybody, if somehow, just by accident, you know, when when they spied the land, there'd been no giants there, you know. But but it's really not that way. Let me tell you something. It takes a lot of grit and guts and fortitude to go against the evil one. It really does. One of the greatest testimonies I feel that's in the Bible is in Joshua, the 14th chapter. And I'll just call your attention to it. After they cross the land, Caleb gives a testimony. Talks about, when I was over here, I spotted this hill. This hill was inhabited by the Amorites. He said, <clears throat> he said I'm fourscore and five years old now. But he said, I feel just as strong. Now remember, they crossed over, but they had to defeat the Amorites. They had to take this, this place. He said, I'm fourscore and five years old. And he said, when I laid my eyes on it, I knew that's what I wanted. I knew that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to settle. And he said, when you divide the land, he said, if you'll just let me take some men up there, he said, we'll take that hill. I'll build my house up there. 
Praise God. I don't know how you, you're feeling right now, but I'm feeling like that God wants some of us to drive some stakes down in the promised land. Praise God. We need to habit, inhabit the land. Some of the great promises of the Bible, we have seen them, but we have not seen them to the degree that God wants us to see them. This testimony of Brother Thomas and his mom, it's such a precious, precious testimony. Such a precious testimony. I was recently in Connecticut and I gave the testimony of us baptizing Warren Mickelson on his deathbed, how God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I've uh, made reference to this in three or four different messages. Such a miraculous thing. I gave this, and a woman began to cry. I mean, she cried, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. She came down to the altar, and I prayed for her. But Brother Whitchett came by and said, Brother Grant, this woman is crying because she's thankful. She thanks the Lord almost every service. Her husband was a man who was not given to God and didn't want to come to church. She just prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God and prayed and sought God. And would you believe that at a, an old age, I, I, I'm not for sure what his age was, but he was, this, this lady was, was quite old, you could see. Uh, he said just last year, uh, her husband just walked into church with her came down to the altar and received the Holy Ghost and we baptized him and I think it was the next day or maybe that night just right away he died oh somebody prayed and sought God and held on with the horns of the altar I told our young people about two years ago someone were becoming so wayward I said you know there are people that are willing to fight battles for you. <clears throat> there are people that are, and some of you right now are slipping, but I'm here to tell you, you've got some dads, and moms, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, directors, pastors, elders. If you die lost, it'll only be after you have just gritted your teeth, walked away from God, because we're going to hold on to the horns of the altar until we see you pray through to great victory in Jesus Christ. It's heaven or bust. Praise God. We don't want to see you lost. The world is trying to reprogram you and there's so much of this in the world. I walked in a place the other day when the TV was on and I heard some kids talking. They said, oh, and they're talking about going out with someone. I didn't see what was on. I didn't go around the corner, but I kept on hearing this over and over and over. Just conducting a little business and then, then left. But I, I heard these kids talking about going out. That's, that's, that seems to be the voice of our age. It's romance and, and sex and drugs and, and such. I'm here to tell you, my friend, that kind of... Garbage will leave you wrecked and undone and lost. This last Thursday night, there was a young man that walked here in the house of God. and Some of you know who I'm talking about. Several years ago, he worshipped God with us. A clean-cut young man. 
Last Thursday night he walked in here, the smell of alcohol on him and, and such. And I tried to carry on a conversation with him. And it was amazing. He just blown his mind going by the way of the world. I remember when he grew cold in God and I talked with him, please, please, you cannot do what you're thinking about doing. But he went on anyway. Come down at the altar and pray. But you see, the problem was, he wasn't really getting a hold of God. He had not really made up his mind, by the help of God, I can do it. He had not done that. And those ten spies, they came back, my friend, they got down on their knees. They were praying to God. And you know what they were praying at Kadesh, a place of consecration? Give us another leader that will take us back into Egypt. We don't want to fight anymore. We're tired of all the wrestling. We're tired of all the struggling. That's what they were praying for. But God had put His mark upon these people. And God says, I will bleach their bones in the wilderness. They'll not go back to Egypt that they came out of. Their heart may be over there, but they'll never enjoy the world. Once you've known Jesus Christ, listen to me young people. Once you've known Jesus Christ... And once Jesus Christ has put His mark, His own name upon you, you'll never be the same again. You can't go back to the world that you came out of. God won't let you be happy back there. It was on an altar of God that Cain failed the Lord. I mean, he was offering up a sacrifice not acceptable, going through his little religious a riot there and, and piling up all the vegetables and such. God wanted a blood sacrifice. Cain knew that his offering was not acceptable. What did he say? He told, he told Cain and said, Cain, if thou doest well, then thou wilt be blessed of God. But thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And talked to him and pleaded with him. But becoming very envious of his brother who was doing and playing the game right according to the rules of God, he took a knife out and rose up and slew his brother. But that decision was made at an altar, a place of consecration. Do you know that it was at an altar of God that Saul, the first king of Israel, was turned over to a reprobate? He was going out to fight the Amorites, and, and Samuel was to come by and bless and give him advice, but what happened? Samuel didn't show up quite when Saul thought that he should, and Saul, in his backslidden condition, he looked into the house of God and said, Well, I'll go in and offer up the sacrifice myself. I can't wait any longer. We've got to go out. We've got to take up the, the battle with the Amorites. And what do you think happened? He went in there and offered up a sacrifice. He should not have done that. Just couldn't wait any longer. I wonder how much patience plays in this game of life when sometimes we feel that God doesn't show up just when we need Him. God doesn't answer just when He ought to answer. Oh, let me tell you something, my friend. But if we turn our back on God, where is there to go? I always ask people this question who tell me, I'm discouraged, I'm thinking about turning back. I say, if you turn back, 
you, you think things will get better? And very well, they say, no, they won't. I said, well, then don't blame God for anything. Are they going to get any better if you stop praying? Are they going to get any better if you stop seeking God? No, my friend, they'll not get any better. And you'll find out that they will just digress and digress and digress. Listen, I'm feeling what I'm talking about tonight. Others faced with similar situations. Hannah, a lady who could not give birth at all, she goes in the house of God and kneels at a place of prayer, a place of consecration, knowing that she had nothing to lose because she had nothing. She said, God, if you will grant me a child, I'll give it to you. I've talked to a lot of home missionaries, some of them even when I was a home missionary. I remember going to, to Shauna. I remember going to the cross. Ministers are always talking, How? what were your feelings? I said, well, I have never been afraid of failing. Never been afraid of failing in this sense. What do you mean, Pastor Grant? Well, it just occurred to me one day, if I go to Shauna with nothing... And I leave with nothing. I haven't lost anything. Because if you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. And Hannah says, I don't have a child. And if I give this child to God, at least I'll have the satisfaction of producing a prophet that can be used in the house of God. And I will turn him over to the perpetual service of God's house. I have nothing. I'll give it back to God if God will give it to me. Hannah, you're going to lose praying like that. No, my friend, she won't lose because she had nothing to start with. And we came out of a world, my friend, clutching nothing but rags and, and tattered garments of self-righteousness and filth. And when we turned those things loose, my friend, we had nothing to lose. Absolutely nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. I've got everything to gain. Nothing to lose. What I was living for was killing me. It only makes sense that I give it up. I saw in a church sign not too long ago, a couple of years ago it was now, up in Rosendale to have a church up there. Always has a little cute sign out front. And there was a sign that went like this. It said, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Oh. Genesis 15, we find Abraham came coming out of Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham, I'll tell you, I marvel at the devotion of this man. I've read his story in the Bible. I don't know how many times, but there are times when I just... I just feel something deep inside of me. I go back and read about Abraham. Here was a man who was raised in an environment that was totally adverse to what he was going to practice the rest of his life. The roots of his household was deep in idolatry. His father made idols. And God spoke to this man. Now we wonder sometimes, you know, how did God speak to this man? We have to understand that, that Noah's sons... In fact, uh, Shem, who was a son of Noah, was alive when Isaac was born. So evidently, uh, someplace in the area, 
uh, there were people practicing worship to Jehovah. I don't know if someone got a hold of Abraham and talked to him and told him that there was a better way than praying to idols. I don't have any idea. The Bible doesn't tell me. But the Bible tell, tells me that God spoke to this man and said, Get thee up out of this land. My friend, that's exactly what he did. He got up out of that land. He started marching. And I think that the beckoning call from God to every sinner is, Get out of this land. In other words, leave the world. You may say, what's out there? What, where am I going? Oh, I would never have dreamed, my friend, when I gave my heart to God, that I would be standing behind this pulpit on this April evening in 1993. If someone would have told me this back in 1961, I would have probably died of a heart attack. But God says, Abraham, here's what I'm going to do. When you cross a certain point, if you're walking by faith every place you put your foot, I'm going to put your name on that. You know what Abraham did all of his life? He just walked. And God says, I'm going to give you this land. He promised. That's why it's called the promised land. Isn't that something? And not only am I going to give it to you, but I'm going to give it to your seed, to all of your children. Praise God. But you see, here's, here's a point that I think that I need to make for the sake of our young people. Just because your dad lives in the promised land doesn't mean that you can inhabit the promised land. You see, for you to cross over in the promised land, you've got to manifest faith in God. You can wander around out in the wilderness. You may have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. But just because dad received the promise doesn't mean that you're going to have the promise. Whatever it took for Dad, it's going to take for you. You know, I didn't give my heart to God until after my first son was born. After John was born, I got to thinking about the awesome responsibility. I got to thinking about my own life with God. You know what? I, I, I think I had this built-in thing that was telling me, well, Mom and Dad are saved. Somehow, I'm going to be saved. But you know, one day I woke up to realize, hey, mom's religion won't take me to heaven. Grandfather's religion won't take me to heaven. If I go to heaven, I'm going to have to get a hold of the same thing they got a hold of. It's got to save me. The same faith they manifested, I've got to have. And I looked at my son, and I dedicated my son right after he was born. Myself, and nobody was in the room when I did this because, you know, I wasn't living for God and I didn't really want to take Him to church and have it done. So I went in there and I just prayed my own little prayer. And I said, oh God, this is my son. Don't let my son die lost. Here I was really a lost man myself. But I got to thinking about the responsibility. I got to thinking about all the times that I had to go to mom. And say, Mom, would you pray for me? All the times I went to her. Sit down. My mom was a good friend. She said, I don't want to talk to you. And I talked to her. And it's like she'd read my mind. She said, look, we're going to take that to the Lord in prayer. I'd go to bed. A lot of times I'd go to sleep. I'd go to sleep hearing her sobbing voice, praying over things. I'd disgust. I'd just sleep like a little babe. Well, she interceded for my soul. 
But then I looked at John. I said, no, he has no intercessor. I've got to be his intercessor, Lord. I'm going to see him go to heaven. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And of course, John's had his struggles. I'm happy to say he went to Clintonville, moved up there, and moved away from his friends. You know what he just recently told me? He said, you know, when I moved to Clintonville, I didn't have any friends other than Lori, his wife. He said, you know, Lori and I became very close friends. He said, I had no one but my wife. And my wife says, we're going to church. I started going to church. He went to the altar a while back and gave his heart to God again. Praise God. Now he just came down two weekends ago, squared his shoulders. And he felt like he's really accomplishing something. He said, Dad, I'm ushering in the church now. Praise God. Had his Bible with him. He changed vehicles and take his Bible. You know what he told me? He said, I guess I just woke up to realize I can't go to heaven on mom's religion or dad's religion. Moses couldn't get him in the promised land. Joshua's faith couldn't get him in the promised land. No. Abraham's faith couldn't get him there. They had to have their own faith. It's time to possess the land. We need some victories. Victories. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Mm. Let me just tell you about Abraham a little bit more. Right after he came out of the prom out of the promised land, after he came out of Ur, went into the promised land. A long time before his name was changed, and a long time before he offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. The Bible says <clears throat> that he was going to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. God was going to reconfirm him, his calling. He took the pieces took his knife and cut them and placed them upon the altar. This is the way they did it in the Old Testament under the, the patriarchs or during the age of the patriarchs. While he was offering up the sacrifice, the Bible says the fowls, I assume the vultures, came down. You know what they were going to do? They were going to take that fresh meat off the altar. They were going to fly away with it what they're going to do. Abraham was so determined to be right with God, to consecrate his life to God. The Bible says he pulled out his knife and while he prayed that his sacrifice would be accepted, he kept his knife drawn and literally fought the vultures off the sacrifice. 
Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be saved? If you do, you can make it. You may have to stretch yourself out on the altar and literally pull your knife, the Word of God, and fight the devils away that would seek to pull you off the altar. But if you want to stay consecrated, you can. You can. Praise God. I want you to stand right now. Oh. Don't leave this altar without a victory tonight. I say, don't leave this altar without a victory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. My Lord and my Savior. Into my heart, come into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to to my heart, Lord Jesus, oh, into my Come on right now. Don't tarry. Don't wait. Come on right now. Give your heart to God. Come in to my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in to 